It's February 14th in Valentine Bluffs, and love is in the air. But so is the legend of Harry Warden, the psychotic miner who vowed to attack the Valentine's Day dance if it ever happened again. After 20 years, the dance is reinstated, and Harry Warden returns to make good on his promise. People are killed in Valentine Bluffs, and the local law must figure out a way to stop a living legend in the 1981 Canadian slasher flick, My Bloody Valentine. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm John Allred. And this is a very late, very cold episode of Filmgasm. Happy Friday, listeners. Before we get started, I'd like to fill you all in on the situation here in Texas and explain why this episode is late. Had a big old fuck you from nature this week. Uh, snow in Texas and an unprepared infrastructure. Snowstorm wiped out uh, water and power for pretty much the whole state. Uh, we were not prepared for that. So four inches of snow has completely wiped us out. Uh, we're barely coming back. Well, one at a time depends on the various grids here, various energy companies. I've got electricity, but no water. So open on that. Austin, Julie, and myself have been pretty much in the same boat for a few days now. Uh, it's only starting to ease its way back. It was really bad on Tuesday, our normal recording night. So we had no choice but to postpone this episode until we could record. Uh, Josh lives on the East Coast, so he's been fine, but we have been in a frozen hell. <laughs> so happy that we can finally do this. Uh, sorry we missed our first Wednesday in two years. <laughs> Fuck. Needed to get that off my chest. That's all good. I mean, it's not like you could just even go to Mexico or anything to, you know, get get out of there for a little while, you know? Yeah. Like one of your fearless leaders. Fuck <laughs> him so hard. I, You don't even know, man. We are all like... We want his blood. It's crazy down here. It's it it okay. Not to not to drag things into a into a political fucking arena, but the that he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar, as if nobody's gonna know who he is. And then he's like, "Oh no, I was just doing it for my children. My daughter needed to go to Mexico." He's like, "Shut up, bro. You got caught, and now you're walking it back." Meanwhile, private citizen Bet Beto O'Rourke actually doing something like fuck off man Uh, and the thing i've seen on twitter from a lot of it there were plenty of people that lived in texas and they're like we're not gonna forget this oh no No. and i'm like (laughs) god if there is ever a place in the country where people hold a grudge and don't and don't forget fucking texas (laughs) our slogan is don't mess with texas for a fucking reason (laughs) This is not over. <laughs> oh, uh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, released, releasing this one on Friday. Uh, we will probably have the schedule back up and running next week, but, you know, everything's kind of up in the air right now. So we'll have episodes out on all three shows when they come out. That's kind of the best I can hope, I can promise right now. Oh, so there's no rewind today. So let's jump right in. So, Josh, you picked My Bloody Valentine because this past Sunday was Valentine's Day. There's any number of romantic horror flicks we could have done. Hell, Julie and I did Fatal Attraction last week, specifically for Valentine's Day. Why My Bloody Valentine? So, I mean, there's a lot of, like, 
subgenres and different offshoots of horror movies and things like that. And I think one of the things that kind of often gets overlooked, but it's been pretty prevalent through the the 70s and into today is Canada. Canada has been the backdrop for, you know, I mean, it stood in for the States in a lot of movies, um, particularly one of the early Asher's Black Christmas shot in Canada, but it was dressed up to look like America. Um, I think one of my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, just one of my favorite words is uh, Canucksploitation. <laughs> and that, and that term is used for movies like My Bloody Valentine. Um, I've got a list that I'll go over um, kind of in the heyday in, in the 80s and then kind of a resurgence in a way where the kids who grew up watching these movies started making some of their own. And it's, it's amazing. Um, I was talking to my friend Ty about it because I asked him kind of what his thoughts were about uh, my bloody Valentine and, you know, stacking it up against the other slashers. It's, it's okay. Um, I think the fact that it came early definitely lent itself to having some kind of lasting legacy. Whereas a lot of things that came the mid to late eighties, they were going to get lost in the shuffle up against you know, the newest Friday the 13th or the latest Nightmare on Elm Street, those kind of movies, the, the Halloween franchise that was rolling all through there, those guys were going to dominate. And you got little movies like this, something that didn't really didn't really do much when it came out. Um, it was pretty polarizing on either end by critics. Some called it, you know, just pure trash. Um, others were like, this is great they used the setting to full effect and created some real like atmospheric um, horror in a way. Cause I mean, who, who likes being underground? <laughs> Fuck that. And I, I think, I think the fact that this movie is 40 years old this year and people are still talking about it says something and that was what i brought up to you when we were kind of batting around ideas for the next episode that i was going to be on it's like it's a 40 year anniversary got to do this so absolutely i mean yeah i love it it's cheesy it's goofy um and it's got and it's got a little bit of history behind it so yeah totally right on yeah legacy's huge here i love doing you know celebrating anything's anniversary 40 years is a hell of a landmark for any film. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to get to talk about this one. I didn't think it was perfect. I mean, I thought it was kind of goofy at times, but I did, no, it wasn't too bad. Uh, made me laugh. I found myself caring way more about the love triangle than I expected, which was weird. I was like, come on, realize who, who you're supposed to be with here. It's, I love what I do. Like the murders are kind of secondary and I'm like, I want to know who she ends up with. <laughs> Impressive. Exactly. Yeah. So the original title of this film was The Secret. The title was changed to My Bloody Valentine to cash in on the recent holiday serial killer trend, which was really popular at the time. And the more I learn about these, the more I just find it hilarious. 
I mean, you had films like Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday the 13th, taking the horror community by storm. You also had movies like Mother's Day, New Year's Evil. Like, it just, they went as, like, I'm surprised there's not, like, an Arbor Day movie. Like, they just grabbed every holiday they could and threw a killer onto it and made a movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, respect. <laughs> I mean, okay, so I think... I think in a way it is kind of genius. I mean, it's an obvious thing when you think about it at the same time, if you just pick a holiday and like, fuck, what do I do with it? I mean, it, it, it actually, it actually kind of allows you to be free and work within that. I mean, this movie would have been really, really bad. Could have been really bad. Cause I mean, you think of how cheesy Valentine's day is and you think about how just, awful the whole concept of it is i've man i had plenty of arguments with girlfriends in the past about why i thought valentine's day was bullshit you you don't you don't get into arguments about stuff like that you know <clears throat> and so i think i think what they did with it was pretty clever um valentine's day was just kind of like the backdrop and it was part of the town's past and it, it, it worked with it. I think, and, and part of what I'll get to is that this movie was pretty extreme for when it came out and it even got chopped. Uh, a, uh, a quote I got from one of the producers was that he said it was just cut to ribbons because of the MPAA, ah. our favorite, our favorite, uh, fucking terrible organization of shitheads. I, I, I don't really know how else to describe them, but um, yeah. So yeah, the MPAA got their hands on this and yeah, there's actually a couple of interesting facts I found about that. So right when on. it comes time to share those, I'll pull those out. Yeah. Uh, I do agree that it is, it is creative and it's a great place to start for anyone making a horror movie to like pick a holiday and build from there. I like that the whole Valentine bluffs thing, like, like it just, it was so like jammed down our throats with my bloody Valentine. Like, Hey, in case you didn't catch it, Valentine's day is important in this town. Like way too important. <laughs> that was, that was kind of goofy. I want to see new year's evil just from the title. I mean, I want to know what, the, what that's all about. It's something else. We'll put it like that. Right but on. again, 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 the fact that movies like that would have come and gone and left to die on VHS are still around. They're getting three, you know, they're, they're getting remastered and brought back for a new generation of people who um, I, I went and saw the remake of my blood on time in theater when it came out. And it was my first experience seeing Tom Atkins on the big screen. I mean, I had seen him in Maniac Cop and uh, you know, Night of the Creeps and, and things like that before, but that was like me seeing him up on the big screen and I was just like, oh, he's, I mean, he's horror royalty. I mean, you know, the, he, he worked with John Carpenter, like the, the, the man is an institution as far as I'm concerned. So how can you, how can you not enjoy that? And he was great. And I mean, he was, he was trademark Tom Atkins in that remake. So you know, the, the, um, the fact that uh, that somebody saw in there to mine, pun intended, um, just just shows what what kind of legacy this movie has. 
Yeah, that's true. That is true. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it today on the podcast if it, you know, hadn't lasted this long. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we're here to shine a light on this. Uh, I haven't seen the remake yet. Uh, I'm a big Supernatural fan, so I'll watch anything Jensen Ackles is in, so it is on my list. Um, I did see Jared Padalecki's Friday the 13th remake, and that was pretty shitty, but I enjoyed it. Uh. <laughs> I I enjoyed parts of it. I just felt like it was they, – they, they tried too hard cramming in, like, three sequels worth of lore into it to make their own thing. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's equal parts Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th Part 2, and Friday the 13th Part 3. Oh, straight all up. crammed into one movie. And eh, they could have they could have found a better way to go about. Um, I enjoyed it, sure. Um, who doesn't want to see Fourteenth in a movie theater? Like, come on. So, I it's it's not one of my favorites. So I can't really, I I, I can't really stand behind it. You know, compared to compared to others. Yeah, fair enough. I find it interesting that same like. There's a guy who plays the same douchebag in Friday the 13th and Transformers, which combines those two universes for some reason. So Jason and Optimus Prime exist in the same universe because of this one asshole. <laughs> I'll take it. Why not? Uh, <laughs> so stupid. My Bloody Valentine was directed by George Mahalka. It was his second film after 1980's Pickup Summer. Uh, some of his other films include Scandal, Eternal Evil, Hostile Takeover, and Straight Line, among some others. I haven't heard of any of his movies, but they're probably all Canadian productions, which is why I haven't seen, heard of any of them. Have you seen anything else by this guy? No. So, yeah, I guess this is his big, you know, his big one, his mark on film. It's good. Everyone's got to have their one. Um. Paul Kelman plays TJ, the heartthrob hero who returns home to work in his father's mine. Kelman is an English actor who didn't do much else besides the films Gas and Black Roses in the 80s. And he is terrible. I mean, he's just, oh my God, this guy. But there's no, you can hear his accent break so many times. <laughs> he's just, he's not, he's not a very good hero, I don't think. I've, I've... I felt like he um, he was trying to play the jilted lover a little too much, and yeah. he kind of had just like it was. Parts of this movie felt very melodramatic, um, and I don't know if that was like, you know, coming off of the seventies where a lot of, you know, uh, some semblance of like realism and like how people really interact with each other, things like that. Um, if, if that kind of had some lingering effect performance for, <laughs> for some of them, because a lot of it just felt, I mean, it's campy. It's a little over the top. And I think, but I also think if they tried to play it too straight and like not have anything to either intentionally or unintentionally just kind of snicker at, I, I don't know that this movie would be as enjoyable. I think one of my favorite characters in the whole thing, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, He's, he's a fucking idiot, and he's just all about having fun and getting hammered on Moosehead, which, fun fact, is a real beer, and my mom loved it. Mom loved that shit. 
I, it was the weirdest thing. Like I, I, I remember seeing it when I was a kid. She had these bottles of Moosehead. I'm like, huh, what is that? She's like, oh, it's Canadian beer. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I get older, and then you, um, what was it Big Daddy when uh, John Stewart was in that or some shit? And he's like, yeah, you know, Canadian beers like moonshine. And I, I just think about that the whole time. <laughs> and yeah, pretty sure, you know, because it was shot in Canada, they they got you know bunch of free moose head for it you know the big fucking neon sign in the bar (laughs) it's funny how you mention um kind of the line that you know horror movies need to have a certain amount or some horror movies need to have a certain amount of goofiness just to work and it is interesting that horror is like unique in that case like a lot you know you don't need in drama the occasional slapstick shit to keep people on their toes that would be awesome if in like the middle of Schindler's List, somebody slipped on a banana peel or something. But in horror, like especially slashers, they can't take themselves too seriously or else something gets lost in the translation. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think with any, with any horror movie that has humor in it, it's kind of just like a, and, and I think I've used the phrase before, it's like a release valve. It just allows you to remove yourself from the tension that's been built up for a little bit and if it's used right, it can even be deceptive. It can allow you to kind of think, okay, we're good. And then something happens out of nowhere and you're like, oh, shit. And especially with slashers, um, these movies are not meant to be really examined for like the technique, <laughs> um, their construction, the writing, and like all these other technical aspects of filmmaking. However, there are parts of that in a lot of slashers. Um, they're they're more made, and and I've used it before. They're party movies. There's something you can put on in the background, have some friends over, and you don't need to think too much. Yeah. And I'm all about I'm all about having something challenge you and kind of make you think, and you know sometimes leave you unsatisfied or like not wrap everything up because it forces you to talk and talk about what you watched. These movies, it's the exact opposite. You're laughing and making fun of what you're seeing here because it's, it's, it's hyperbolic. There's no way people are going to act this way in real life. They do in action movies. And I think one of the things that annoys me when I'm watching these with somebody who isn't really uh, uh, big into horror and they just, they just go, Oh, ah, so stupid why would anybody do that? And I'm just like, can you just not have fun with this right now? Like, why are you do- big, dumb guy in a mask kills people. That's all you need to know. Like you don't, it's all about, it's all about the boobs, the blood, and that's it. Just fun. Just have fun. Yeah. That's a, I agree with that. I like, you know, I like a good serious, scary horror movie, but I can also appreciate a goofy slasher. That's just here to make me, you know, scream and laugh. That's nice. It's nice to have that kind of release. Like I see, you know, when Caleb and I first started Filmgasm, he found out I hadn't seen any of the Friday the 13th movies. So he sat me down and forced me to watch all of them in one day. We watched Friday the 13th all the way to Freddy versus Jason and just zoomed through that shit the whole time. And I was one of the best days ever because we just watched all this crazy, gory, ridiculous shit and laughed at it the whole time. It was fun. I mean, we did the same thing for Elm Street like two weeks later. (laughs) 
yeah, it's you need that sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, you you need to have a little variety, and I think um, I think slashers are kind of like this is gonna be a terrible analogy, but slashers are slashers are the pizza of horror movies. Like everybody likes it. Everybody likes it. <laughs> everybody likes them. You eat it cold. You know, the crust is great. Just there's there's no bad part to these movies. Yeah. And slashers just like pizza when they're not that great, it's still, you know, edible. Still pizza. <laughs> That's actually a really good analogy. Damn, I'm good. Fuck. <laughs> I impress ah. myself sometimes. <laughs> uh Lori Halley Hallier plays Sarah, the girlfriend trapped in a love triangle she could easily get out of. Frankly, both these guys kind of suck. Uh, Hallier mostly did bit parts on various TV shows throughout her career and never really did another film. Uh, Neil Affleck plays Axel, the douchebag boyfriend. No relation. I was curious. He is not related to Ben or Casey Affleck. Um, They're not Canadian. Affleck would go on to become an animator on The Simpsons, which he did in the 80s and 90s, also worked on the Simpsons movie, and he played a medical student in Scanners. So pretty cool that he ended up kind of working, like one of, being one of the animators for the Simpsons. That's a neat thing to put on your resume. <laughs> for real. Yeah. And he's an interesting character. He looked so much like the guy who played Daredevil's dad in 2003's Daredevil. Like, I thought it was the same guy. Turns out it's not. <laughs> But it's funny because in that he would have been Ben Affleck's dad. So I'm just, I, I was really thinking like he's got to be one of the Afflecks, right? That can't be a common name. <laughs> I mean, you would think. Oh, he's Axel's such an interesting character. I did kind of spoiler alert, by the way, for everybody. But this is the 126th, fourth, fourth episode. So you should know what we what we're about by now. Um, I totally kind of called it when it when it was him when he was Harry Warden. I kind of figured that out towards the end. I'm like, it's, it's Axel, isn't it? But what did you think? Like when you first saw this, were you expecting that? So I wasn't even like really, wasn't even really trying to figure it out. Um, mostly because I had I had heard um, I'd heard about how it got like chopped up and a lot of the gore was removed. So I actually have it on DVD where a lot of those scenes were restored. Oh. Um, still still kind of in their raw state. So they're yeah. just like yeah. inserted in. However, it definitely adds to it. And, you're, and you see and you're just like, whoa, like they were really going for something here. Um, so I, I saw it and I was just like, wow, like this, is, this is amazing. This this movie is amazing, and I was just kind of enjoying it. When it came around, I was, meh, all right, whatever. Um, but I think I think they, they tried to do a good. I I don't know that um, Neil Affleck's uh, <laughs> he was really trying to hide it because he just and maybe and maybe too um, TJ kind of being as brooding as he was, he was definitely the red herring in it because like he's playing with so much emotion and he's always flying off the handle and he's all bent out of shape and just came back. So what was he really doing in California? Like stuff like that. So, I mean, it, 
I think I think it played a bit with the whole whodunit aspect of it, while still that maybe it really is Harry Warden until the very end when you find out now nah, that fucking guy's been dead. He died a while ago. So yeah. Um I mean I I thought it was fine. I mean I watched it again a couple of days ago and I was like I was I was sitting there going like okay I know Axel did it. Now I'm just trying to figure out where is he and like you know because like if he's not around when something happens and you're like well, this fucking guy did something, and I just and, and honestly, I didn't really like him. I don't really like him. Yeah. Um, even though TJ's the 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 emo one of the bunch, I I kind of thought he was cooler. <laughs> well, I think that she can do better. I think they're both just selfish assholes, and she can do better. But at least yeah, but Axel she, lets you she's know. Mining. Yeah, Axel's she's like, mining. Yeah, she you know. TJ, I mean, he left and he didn't say he was coming back. That's that's a breakup. Like, what do you expect her to wait for you for years? And then you know she's gonna move on, but she's gonna move on to like the biggest brick on the island, or Midwest, or wherever the hell this is. And he's just like so vocal about like, hey, you know, she's mine. She's always gonna be mine. She doesn't even love you anymore. Like in front of her, <laughs> like you don't do that shit in front of your girl, man. Like God, it's just, yeah. It's weird, but I found that very engaging. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess, I think that people in Valentine Bliss would be the uber romantics or something, and she would just sit there and pine away and wait for him to come back. But I'm, why I don't know. This is another reason why I have a problem with Valentine's Day because it's like it's the one day of the year you're supposed to love. I'm like, so what about the other days? They just don't mean anything. So if I got you present, if I got you flowers on February thirteenth, it wouldn't mean anything. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> I regrettably have not had a lot of opportunities to celebrate Valentine's Day, so no, working on that. I I'm not. I haven't like never celebrated Valentine's Day. I just haven't in a long time. Uh, good times. Um, but still, I would never want to live in this town. I mean, to put the, it's, it's like fucking you know living in Christmas land a nightmare before Christmas. Like, yeah, I love Christmas, but every day. No, I like to be reminded of that constantly. Like, Hey, Christmas is almost here. Like that's what they do in this town. They're like, Hey, it's almost Valentine's day. <laughs> like what yeah, the fuck? I, yeah, no, I couldn't do that. I mean, and you know, like, you know how mining towns are ran, right? Like they're basically made to like keep people there at least, yeah. you know, like, from what like you know like in the in the old of Colming and things like that <clears throat> how they would essentially have their own money and pay people not real money but the coal mining company's money yeah. and you could only use it in there so you're just like trapped and you're stuck there until you fucking die and oh by the way you're raising your kids to fucking work in the mine you're just like oh it's the most disgusting thing i've ever done. so i could just imagine all these fucks Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's screwed everybody. And oh, by the way, you're never leaving. So guess what? You're probably going to be screwing the same four guys the entire time you live in this town, which is terrible. It's terrible. But at least there's Moosehead. You got that. Fuck. Yeah. Mining towns are hell. Nobody wants to do that. Like they, they kind of gloss over that in this movie about how like 
know, his dad runs a mine and it's like the biggest employer in this town. Cause of course it is. And everyone's kind of just like treating it like a nine to five, but mining is not that kind of gig. It's like, that's, that's kind of a, like, you know, it's, it's a permanent situation. People don't just move on from being a miner. <laughs> no, nah, man. No. Nah. Jeez. It's a legacy job. You know, my dad was a miner. My granddad was a miner and his dad was a miner and just never stops. But, you know, if I lived in a mine where some crazy dude started chopping people up, I'd probably try to find another job as best I could. I'd fail because this is a mining town, but I'd try. <laughs> um, Keith Knight plays Hollis, who I can best describe as the weird friend. Uh, Knight also appeared in Meatballs, class of 1984, and he did a lot of voice work in cartoon shows over the years. Uh, he died in 2007 at 51 years old from brain cancer, but he feels like 20 years older than every other dude he hangs out with in this movie. I love that he's just there. Like, he's he's open to whatever the hell, and he just goes with it. I love that. <laughs> he's hilarious. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's, I mean, he's the wild card. Like, he just, like, even when things are going off the rails crazy and people are dying he's just like let's go party in the mines let's get drunk and get fucked up let's go have fun that's all he cares about fucking jolly fat man in this fucking movie um i think okay so something that is a little unique about this movie is that setup of the characters in that they're not all you know horny teenagers they're a bunch of horny 20 something miners so you know the the age of the cast is a little different, you know, in, instead of what became pretty paint by numbers with um, Friday the 13th, Sleepaway Camp, Nightmare on Elm Street movies, um, the Halloween movies, I mean, name it, um, a lot of the burning, you know, it's, it's either summer camp or it's, you know, teenagers in suburbia. And that was pretty shit. I think that's another thing is unique about this movie. Well, also, like, I mean, you can't get a lot of better horror locations, like horror settings in a fucking mine. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, anything that's, you know, subterranean is fucking scary. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it's got a, like, the la the whole, like, last half of the movie where the kids are trapped in the mine and Harry's hunting them. I was engaged the whole time. I was like, fuck, this is good. So, yeah, I, I think this has a lot going for it. <laughs> Uh, Cynthia Dale plays Patty. She also appeared in Moonstruck, Heavenly Bodies. She had a leading role in the TV series Street Legal. Uh, it's always funny looking at these these guys' IMDb pages to see what they went on to do. Most of the time, it's not much. But it's always neat to see somebody who had like a little bump here and there. You know, they were in Moonstruck, had a TV show in the 80s. Good for them. Uh, Don Franks plays Chief Newbie. He also appeared in such films as Johnny Mnemonic, Heavy Metal, I'm Not There. And he did numerous voices on the Care Bears, of all things. And he also voiced Sabretooth on X-Men, the animated series. So, cool. I mean, he was in so many Care Bears, like just listed his voice. So I don't know who he played in the Care Bears, but he was in the Care Bears. He was the Care Bears. All oh, I, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> making a joke, but I that's, that's a relation. And it's actually, uh, I, I had no idea about the whole Sabretooth thing. Like, was that the 90s X-Men? Yeah. Yeah, the good God. one. That Yeah, that is still hands down 
one of my favorite cartoons of all time. I I like I was giddy when I saw it on Disney Plus when I first got it. And I was like, oh my God. My kids were like, what's that, Dad? I was like, it's the best cartoon ever. Shut up. I'll show you. <laughs> so yeah. I've exposed it to him gradually. Nice. I have um I had a, a tape when I was a kid that had like three episodes of the X-Men cartoon. And I loved it. And I never saw anything else from it. So now that I have Disney Plus, I can actually watch that that show. When I was a kid, like I my big one was the Spider-Man, the animated series. Yep. I, I watched that whole thing. I thought that was so cool. Like when Doctor Strange showed up and Carnage and like the way they did the whole Captain America thing. Like that was a cool show. <laughs> Marvel had it made in the 90s. Like with their cartoons, they were kicking ass. Yeah, it's a great time to be alive. I loved it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Frank's also died of cancer in 2016 at 84, but the Care Bears will live forever. And so will Sabretooth. Because it's one of his powers. Um, My Bloody Valentine has an IMDb score of 6.3. Rotten Tomatoes score of 58%, kind of mixed. Grossed $5.7 million on a budget of $2.3 million. So not a huge hit, but it did make a bit of money. Received mixed reviews upon release, but has since been embraced as a cult favorite. Which, kind of the deal with a lot of horror movies. They're mostly Most of the time they make their money back. If they're not appreciated now, they will be appreciated later. Yeah, uh, totally. For sure. So let's talk a bit about the movie, some highlights, some stuff worth talking about. Uh, I love Harry Warden's whole like bloody guts in a Valentine's box motif. I love picturing him setting up these elaborate traps for the cops like this dude in a fucking mining outfit just like pasting together a box that contains a full human heart and just leaving it outside the police station makes me laugh although he probably was just axel doing that probably wasn't walking around town in the mining outfit but uh still (laughs) pretty cool well in the opening scene is pretty great um right down in there with with Harry and this chick you don't know as a chick until she starts taking off her her coveralls and you're like whoa all right this is gonna but see and and in a subtle way they set up that something terrible is gonna happen because as soon as they get there that pickaxe goes right into the wall and I I don't think I really picked up on it at first but the second time I watched it I was like oh shit foreshadowing gotcha and then there's just that weird, weird exchange they have where he still got on his his gear and she's like stroking his fucking his uh, his hose, <laughs> and she's trying to take off his mask. He's like, oh, oh. you're just like, oh my god, like woof. And then it's just so abrupt that it's just like. Right up against that pickaxe, and it's like, oh, all right, here we go, here we go. It's what's that term for? There's a there's a film term for it. Chekhov's gun, I think it's called. Where like, if there is a gun in the scene, it's going to be fired at some point. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't remember the actual term for it, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's the same for pickaxes. There's a pickaxe in the scene. Someone's gonna fall on it or be stabbed with it. It's true, or it's going to go through your chin and come out your eyeball. Yep, those those are the rules. Yep. 
Um, I love when they were playing five finger fillet because that always makes me think of aliens. Like, you ever done that? Yes, of course I have. Come on. Yeah, me too. I know how to have fun. <laughs> it's the stupidest. It's so stupid to do that, but you can't help it. Like me, I just want to be like Bishop, but you know, I'm trying to do it. It's yeah, I've stabbed myself in the hand many times. <laughs> I totally, but you also see like, and and this is probably just from watching so many movies and and being able to catch the the, the difference. Those are some fake ass hands they're using the entire time. Just like watching, you're just like, oh my god, they 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 didn't even really try to match the skin tone on these things. Hey, whatever, let's see what happens. Um, and I mean, I, I think it's a great scene cause you know, it's just showing them kicking back and this is what they do. Like, of course, miners are going to play a game like that after they get out of, you know, inhaling fucking coal dust, which is going to kill them. Like, why not try and cut off some fingers? Who gives a shit? Yeah. You're going to drink and you're going to do whatever the fuck you want to do. Cause it's not like you can have a hobby when you're a fucking coal miner. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, and in terms no, of your the, hobbies are drunk and fuck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In terms of the, the hands being fake, you'd think they would have just like made fake knives. Like, wouldn't that have looked better? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, I loved Mabel's death. I think and I, I have, I watched the version on prime that is considerably cut down. So I'm assuming there was a lot more blood in that scene. Uh, Am I, am I correct in assuming that? So that is more like Mabel. That's that's being the aftermath, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is way more about the aftermath of that, um, and when the sheriff finds her. Um, and so uh, that reminds me of the Toxic Avenger, and because uh, you know the the little lady gets chunked in the in the dryer, um, but. Yeah, so that's one of those scenes that had to get cut, and that was one of the things that the MPA um, went to town on this movie about. Um, some some people th- say that it is because um, the MPA was getting back at Paramount, uh, who released this for what they put out in Friday the Thirteenth, kind of like yeah. saying like, oh, "You got away with that one, but you're not getting with this." Um, and they they demanded that every death in the movie get cut down. So the the reveal of what happened to Mabel is it's fucking rough. Like it is so brutal. The sheriff opens up the door and she just like flops out with her head going towards the floor and she just looks cooked. It's fucking nasty. Um so yeah, that that one is way more about that. Um and then when I uh, made the comment just a minute ago about the pickaxe going through your chin and you're out of your eyeball, that was what happened to Happy. And that is um, that is recreated lovingly in the remake, um, which I did see in 3D. So when they did that scene, the eyeball comes flying at you. It was great. Fucking great. My God. Oh, it's ridiculous. I remember the trailer to that, and I'd never heard of My Bloody Valentine. And I remember I was like, that was 09, so I was 14. I remember thinking, that looks terrible. And I don't care at this point. I don't give a shit. I love terrible. Give me terrible. Well, I, th- I think if you can just appreciate it, 
Like yeah. just go, just go in there knowing, because I mean, you you know certain movies you're gonna watch that you know what you're gonna get, and with with the majority of things that came out in the '80s, um, slashers obviously dominated and made a lot of money. Um, you know, in the case of Nightmare on Elm Street, it essentially built New Line. Yeah. Um, there were there were a lot of other things that were going on in the '80s. Um, I mean, they had, you had movies like Punk like straight up monster movies and those always kind of get lost in the shuffle which is sad because Pumpkinhead is a brilliant ass movie um the the werewolf movies that came out in the 80s those are those are fantastic um for all different reasons um and slashers are just fun they're supposed to be fun you're not you're you're, you're not going there to try and have some fucking revelation brought to your life about all of this you're just like no just just have fun go there for the boobs and the blood and come out with a few laughs afterwards yeah i'm here to see very creative murder because that's you know where else am i gonna get to see that (laughs) and not be looked down upon yeah i mean i always hate when you say like you know when you love a slasher film or like a horror movie people kind of people give you like a oh Really? Like, I didn't know it was better than you. Like, that kind of look. Fuck you. I hate that so much. That's why I, like, I don't like movie clubs at college. Like, I'm in my, I'm in grad school, and I'm thinking about joining some movie clubs. But every time I've done that, I've met those people who are like, what? You, you like horror movies? I'm like, yeah, and now I know I don't like you. So I'm going to leave now. I I don't want to deal with that anymore. That was my entire film school life, was being, being that guy unless we had like certain certain classes like i had a, one class that was all about the history of horror if like up to 1965 oh or something like that so i mean you, i watched all these amazing ass movies all the way up through 1965 and it was nothing but a bunch of well predominantly horror nerds um but then some other kids just because they did a, a an elective for their film studies degree and plenty of other classes I took where people just like turn their nose up and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like I, and I ended up using it later on in life after you get taught how to like watch movies and analyze them and things like that. I remember saying to one person who like started to fucking poo poo me for my love of the toxic Avenger and fucking all these other blocky horror movies. And I'm like, I can look at your favorite movie and tell you 45 different ways why I think it sucks. So let's, let's just go there and, you know, enjoy, have fun with something. You're, you shouldn't always watch a movie and think that by watching it, you're getting some kind of of honor or you're getting some kind of fucking moral high ground on somebody. Kiss my ass. It's, it's art. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's subjective. Not everybody enjoys the same thing. Yeah. Why would you why would you try and shit on somebody else? Yeah, I've never enjoyed I've never understood that mentality of like I don't enjoy it so you don't get to enjoy it either. Like what the fuck? Why would you want to live your life like that? Let people enjoy things. Just let people have fun. You know? Life sucks. Let us have horror movies. <laughs> yeah. And and not only that, I I think the fact that horror has existed film has existed says something that it's managed to be relevant and stay strong the entire time and has evolved with the, with the 
the medium of film from the from the very beginnings from the silent era german expressionist horror films all the way to now and the fact that it's always been there and it's all been used in a way to have some kind of catharsis in yeah. a way i've always i've said on this podcast many times that i think horror is the most creative and most expressionable genre because you really can go wherever you want it is the most available genre you can do anything that like you the uh what am, like the only thing that's restrained is your own imagination like if you want to make a horror movie make whatever you want there's no nowhere you can't go not a, not every genre has that every genre is pretty a lot of the other genres are pretty restrictive and haven't evolved as much as horror has i mean you couldn't do a film like hereditary in 1962 <laughs> you'd you'd you know, freak out too many people. There'd be heart attacks. But because we have that now, 30, 40 years from now, we'll have a filmmaker who saw Hereditary and was influenced and can make something even scarier. Like, it's it's built on everybody else's back. Horror is just an ongoing, constant pyramid. And it's, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very malleable. And on top of that, there are a lot of universal things that you can experiences and feelings that you can hit on that will always be relevant to human beings in general. Um, I mean, the, that's why the majority of horror movies take place at, you know, we, we as a species innately have fear of dark because we can't see that, that well in the dark. And there's always something else that can see in the dark that's looking out, waiting for you stalking you and it's just all of that fear of the unknown and just all these ways that you, that can be represented whether it's you know, some scary dude in a fucking miner's outfit you can't see his eyes is he really a person is he fucking burned up and gross or is he a big hulky deformed monster like and you can imprint whatever you want to on that and it's 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 amazing and I think and I think that my slashers why they had such a, a boom in the 80s and kind of became you know cliche and and worn out i think if if done right you could have some come back and i don't i don't i, I don't think they'll ever be you know prevalent as they were in the 80s um i think one of the best ones that came out and and still is being sequels to this day is the hatchet movies. And I think that, but, but because of how they're handled and the way they're treated with reverence for what came before them, while at the same time, there's a tangible link in that Kane Otter is playing a, a slasher. And he is also Jason Voorhees. So that's like, there's these days of bridging all of those things and it's, and it's fun and it's not trying to, to fool you and be smarter than you or whatever you know what you're getting when you watch these movies and they have been entertaining time after time after time so that is definitely an example of somebody who watched those movies growing up like you were saying about hereditary and found a way to their own monster and i love all those movies i really like we, we already talked about hatchet i would love to just keep going with them so that's definitely going to be on my on my long list of 
topics we're going to cover. Oh, hell yeah. And I, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I have not seen as much as I'd like to have seen, but that's a big part of why I started this podcast is so I can. So I have a reason and an excuse to finally check out these countless list of horror films and other genres of, that I've just been kind of putting off. My Bloody Valentine was on that list. Now I've seen it and who knows what I'll, you know, watch in the next few weeks. Great. It's an ongoing journey and it's awesome. Uh, speaking of My Bloody Valentine, this movie has perhaps one of the most vile deaths I've ever seen in a horror movie just because it, I don't, personally, I was like, ugh. And it's when that one kid gets drowned in hot dog water. <laughs> it's so it's so funny that you said that because I was actually in my head like waiting for to come out with something, but then I was going to be like, you didn't think the dirty the dirty dog water was was the worst? That's the worst. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. Fucking terrible. I mean, getting boiled alive is awful enough. Um, but yeah, and just a bunch of fucking lips and hooves fucking <laughs> marinating you to death. No, thank you. Oh, my God. It's, yeah, hands down the most disgusting death in the movie. I felt so bad for that kid. God. And then when the bartender gets tricked by his own trap, I thought that was hilarious. He just keeps opening the door to check it. And then it's really hairy just standing there. <laughs> that was funny. How many times do you need to be certain it's going to work? Like, just We checked it like six times. Well, I think, I think that's one of those things where, you know, the, the director knew those kinds of things. You know, if you know how to mess with people, that's a that's a very Hitchcock move. Is to like, like I know what you think is gonna happen. It's gonna happen yet? It's not gonna happen yet. Oh, not gonna happen yet. And fucking happens. Like, oh shit! You got me. You told me it was coming, and I was preparing myself, but you still fucking got me. That's clever ass shit. Even though earlier on, when he's talking about Harry Warden and stuff in the bar, he gets like. He kind of like breaks the fourth wall and he's like kind of like actually looking at the at the camera and like telling the story so he's like looking at you you know telling you and warning you of all the shit that that went down and like how you shouldn't be you should you should take this seriously you know i i kind of like that part of it. and that's that's just another little another touch this movie has that just makes it just it's a little sweet spot for me. yeah there are there's some moments that are they're cool they're really like ah nice uh, the scene at the at the mine when they all just decide to have this party at the fucking coal mine, and um, Sarah's there with Axel, and TJ's like, you know, not my job to watch her or something like that. Says to Axel, they have a, like a brief fight, and Sarah's like, "What are you doing?" TJ's like, "Tell her." Like, you know, what does what does she say? She says to Axel, "Like, I've got my own mouth," and TJ's like, "Well, use it and say like say what's really happening." Like what a prick on both of those guys are like such alpha male dick dickheads. It's crazy. And then they team up to save her. They're like, we got to get Sarah out of the mind, bro. It's like, yeah, bro, let's do this, bro. <laughs> it's great. Good shit. Um, so the ending when it's revealed that Axel is Harry Warden because the real Harry Warden like killed his dad. I think was the deal. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit too much of Halloween and psycho kind of mixed together. Like the big reveals, like Harry Warden was, you know, the, in the mental hospital, this guy's clearly got parent issues. It just felt like a little too cliched to me. 
Well, I think that might be that might be a little bit because you've seen a lot of that already, and True. you're you know it's 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 one of those things like it's kind of hard sometimes to not think about that, and then when it happens, you're like, ah, all right, whatever. But then when you think about it, when it came out, I think, I think using Harry Warden as kind of like this almost MacGuffin in a way. Um, in that you're you're believe that he still got out from somewhere like where like where is this guy gonna hide in a fucking small ass mining town like come on somebody see you know where he is um he doesn't just yearly walk from the mental institution to go happily kill people on valentine's day <laughs> um so when when it kind of revealed that way and and he he even like goes into the mine like just like to almost just say like i am harry warden like i'm not excellent i am harry and just, it's, very, it's very weird and kind of off um that he does just like f- totally flip his lid because he does a good job at at times of kind of hiding hiding that really crazy streak in him True, but I wish we gotten a little bit more build up to that, a little bit more of like you know the tease at it, or maybe that if that had happened like halfway through, and we could have gotten a little bit more of crazy evil Axel. I just felt it was it felt, it felt kind of shoehorned in at the end. I think it, the execution could have been better. I think. Sure, sure. They actually kept that a secret from the cast f- for real the entire time they were shooting, and not even. Um, Neil Affleck knew it was him until he got to the makeup chair for a fake arm. And then he was like, Oh, Oh shit. It's me. Oh, damn. All right. Um, so that was, that was something that was an actual thing to try. I think to get some of the actors perhaps, um, at least if, at least if I was director and I was doing something that I would, I would intentionally, put something like that in place to a little bit of suspense. So these people are really kind of trying to in their performance, figure out who, who's really doing this. Um, but yeah, no, I agree there, there, there could have been some, cause this movie moves, it yeah. moves really fast. And I don't know if that's partly the way MPA like made them cut stuff. And that is up for debate. Um, the director says as much as like nine minutes cut out of the movie and then some more conservative estimates put in three to six minutes that were cut from the death scenes and some, some other, um, so who knows for real, um, in, I think in the, it was either in the 2009 DVD I have or the, shout factory one that came out the director actually approved the footage that they had and he said it was like i had a quote somewhere he said it was like 80 percent um assembled of like what was missing and then 95 percent the way he wanted it to be oh. so, uh, how much of that is just like straight up gore or there's actually some missing scenes that might time of those threads together i don't know um i actually don't have that shout factory one i really want it because it does have two different cuts of the movie so um 
once some uh some fucking fun money comes around i'm gonna scoop that thing up very nice very nice uh the last thing i want to talk about is the ballad that plays over the end credits it's that it. made me laugh more than anything in this film like this is some like legend <laughs> it's it felt like it reminded me of the lemmy wink song from south park <laughs> that's all that had that's all that was in my head it was so like they were playing it like you know like a bard would play it in the 1300s it was so so goofy <laughs> well i mean i think it's i think it's no more goofy than the fucking uh smoky and the bandit bluegrass music when they're all leaving the showers and fucking playing grab ass getting into their cars like it's it's no more off-putting than that um and i actually i actually think they were really leaning into you know their whole mythos that they had built up about harry warden and all that stuff and and i'm down especially so like okay um i know i've told you about it before um this uh weird collection of shirts that I put together with Caleb and then we're trying to kind of make a script out of it. Um, part of it has a band in it. Um, it's kind of based on some friends of mine and I started to think about songs and like lyrics and, and all that stuff. So that kind of stuff really like it resonates with me when somebody can, can pull more, out of the material and like make it bigger than that so yeah. i mean anytime somebody's like making music or you know like poetry or whatever and they're and they're like using this other created thing as inspiration i think it's pretty creative it is cool it is cool and i don't want to disparage the song it just made me laugh because i was not expecting a full-on like medieval ballad at the end of the movie <laughs> yeah sure yeah yeah <laughs> But yeah, anybody who can, you know, build on anything else, nothing but respect. Um, I only have two bits of trivia on the film guys and facts. Number one, in an interview with terrortrap.com, director George Mahalka said that the shooting location at Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia was chosen because of its rustic atmospheric appearance. However, when the locals found out that a movie was going to be shot there, they decided to spend 50 grand to have the mine painted and cleaned. This, of course, diminished the reason that the production wanted the location to begin with. Mahalka said that 75 grand of the film's budget was then used to return the mine to its original state so they could shoot. That is hilarious. They cleaned the mine. <laughs> God. 75 grand to get it cleaned. God, he must have been so pissed. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's and, and, and a mine, no less. Like a notorious being dirty and disgusting. What does that look like cleaned up, really? Like, Who the an hell eighth knows? of an inch coal dust instead of a half inch? Like, what the fuck? That's great. I love that. And number two, Quentin Tarantino has named My Bloody Valentine as his all-time favorite slasher film. So if you needed a seal of approval, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't, but I can also, like, knowing Tarantino's story and knowing that he grew up you know work video store and that was his film school i can totally see him being the guy behind the counter going no 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 man you don't you don't need to watch five part five man no man you need to watch my bloody on time that's your fucking slasher right there 
You know, like that's 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 what I see him talking about. You know, that was a fantastic Tarantino impression. <laughs> oh my I, God. Look, look, I sometimes I feel like I I I am Tarantino in that like I consumed so many movies when I was a kid. Like that was what I did. Um and yeah, like I I wish I had his encyclopedic knowledge of movies like that. Like I, anybody that has a, a way to pull that kind of information like that is they have my respect. I mean, I've, I've had people tell me that they're like, wow, like, you know, you know a lot about movies. And I'm like, no way. Like there are some other people I would bow down to. He's, he's definitely. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, he's you know kind of a dick, but he's deserved, like he's earned the right to be a dick. I hope one day to earn the right to be a dick. Um, yeah, I mean, some, some people just do it and, and and don't think about all the work that goes into actually being one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, My Bloody Valentine was remade in 2009 with Jensen Ackles, Jamie King, Kerr Smith, Edie Gathigi, and Tom Atkins. It was a big hit at the box office, received mixed reviews from critics who called the performances wooden and the story formulaic, but it did gross over $100 million which is pretty damn admirable. Um, so I haven't seen the remake. You, uh, how does it hold up? Um, I mean, I, I went into it having only like just found out about my bloody Valentine at the time. Um, I think it was probably like the early two thousands when I first watched it. And then when the DVD came out, I bought it cause I heard about, you know, all the missing footage. I was like, Oh yeah watched it and then I was like, oh shit, they remit all oh, yeah. And it's 3D. I was like, yes. Um I actually haven't seen it since it came out. So it's been a long time since I've watched it. From what I remember though, it's all right. Um I don't and 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 I'm not saying this to be like one of these snooty purists or whatever, but I kind of enjoy the original. And that's only based on having revisited the original recently and not watching the the remake again um i definitely need to just to kind of get some fresh eyes on it and see just how much has kind of changed from it so um i i mean i remember having fun with it for sure because i mean i was in film school and like i said earlier uh that was my first uh and far only um screen tom atkins uh experience and Love that guy. I love him so much. Right on. Well, you know, we haven't, I don't think we've done any remakes on the podcast yet. So, you know, maybe this will come up in the pipeline sometime soon. Um, so as far as the original My Bloody Valentine, I give it a six. Uh, it's not bad. It's not particularly very good, I didn't think. But there's a, a couple, there's a lot of things to appreciate about it. But I don't know if I'll watch it again anytime soon. That's just, you know, that's me. I have, I've given it a seven. Um, I need to I actually write about it. Um, there's a lot of reviews that I've been meaning. I've like handwritten a lot of stuff out. And I just haven't typed any up. Um, but it's, it's definitely one of those kind of, for me, it is unique enough in like the setting and the characters to set it apart from a lot of the other slash that were 
coming out at the time. And early enough in the decade, it really is one of the, one of the, you know, just one of the new ones and one that like did lean into the holiday part of it. Yeah. And I think almost started something in, in that regard. I mean, Friday the 13th is, you know, that's more of a superstition than a holiday. I mean, now it's a holiday. Fucking, I love Friday. I, I, look, I look for those every year on the calendar. I'm like, ah, so much so that I know that any month that starts on a Sunday has a Friday the 3rd in it. Oh, right on. Very cool. So there you go. Every month that starts on a Sunday, Friday the 13th, guaranteed. Do you like carve time out of your day on Friday the 13th to watch a Friday the 13th? Uh, yeah. And horror movies in general. So that's, I mean, that's just, this is, this is, I could, could be obsessed with, you know, Call of Duty and sit and get extremely fat in video games like that. This is my thing, watching horror movies, um, writing about them now, which is, been great um and being able to talk about them those are the things that i really enjoy um i am very fortunate i think even though there are you know literally dozens of podcasts where people do this kind of um i think it's unique because it's that that are talking about them not everybody's going to have the same ideas same opinions on things yeah, so definitely, uh, it's definitely a special for sure. Very nice. Hell yeah, man. I'm loving this constant. You know, it's a journey. I know I keep saying that, but it is very much a journey, and I'm I'm loving every second of it, except for when nature, you know, fucks up my state and doesn't let me do it on a Wednesday. <laughs> uh, so next week, God willing, um, it goes back to Julie with our first foray into the work of M Night Shyamalan. A young boy claims he is visited by ghosts and only a child psychologist with his own demons can help the boy find peace. It's a film that may contain the greatest plot twist of the 90s and Julie has never seen it before. Uh, so she has no clue of what the plot twist in this movie is. We're diving into The Sixth Sense, another Oscar-nominated horror flick and a film that launched Shyamalan's divisive career. Going to be a blast. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her reaction to that twist that literally everyone else on the planet knows about. <laughs> That's amazing to me. Like when, when she, when she said that, I just, I could not believe it. I can't believe there's a person who hasn't even heard about this movie and what, let alone not seen it because I, that movie was spoiled. Like as soon as it came out. So like, how do you, how have you managed to just miss that it's it's mind-boggling a sheltered childhood and a late foray into horror films that's how you completely miss the sixth sense <laughs> fair enough i'll accept that excuse so that's gonna I be stayed. great i'm uh i'm glad we were able to do this episode even if it was a, a few days late i want to thank josh for being here today thanks appreciate it no problem um i do want to uh give you uh, a couple of uh recommendations for uh, some more connotation. Um, so um, a couple that were uh, standouts to me uh, is Happy Birthday to Me, 
Okay. That's another kind of like whodunit um, movie. Uh, it's got one of the best box arts I've ever seen. Um, um, the original Prom Night with Jamie Lee Curtis was made in Canada. Um, the sequel, which is now getting a lot of kind of love um, for just like how crazy it is and how I think it's kind of awesome. They did it on the last drive-in. Um, it's uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. <laughs> and is in no way related to the original. And it's just, it's like more like a possession movie. Oh. And it's just bananas. So bananas. Um, for sure. There is one called Pin, which is about an anatomical dummy that... <laughs> It becomes involved in a family's life in a very terrifying way. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's weird. I, I've actually never seen it, and I want based on the description I read of it. I was like, oh, yes. no, I need to see this. Um, so I'm putting that out there. Um, and one that is definitely right up my alley is called Deadly Eyes, and it is about rats. Only so because... The rats in the movie were dachshunds in rat costumes. So Are you kidding about, me? No, I'm oh, not kidding man. you. Just, just think about that. Just think about how r- ridiculous that is. Because they're supposed to be giant rats. <laughs> so why not? So why not dress up a bunch of wiener dogs and have them fucking coming after you? <clears throat> I need to see this. Oh my no, god! Oh, I'm, I'm going to hunt it down. And apparently there was a novelization of it that um, gives you some more information. So who knew? Um, that's another that's another passion of mine is trying to track as many novelizations, uh, horror movies, um, trying my damnedest, uh, not trying to cry when I buy them because some of them can get retarded expensive. Um, yeah. Uh, and those were like all the 80s ones that I kind of just wanted to touch on. Um nice. Temporary Canadians that are doing, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They are the um, Twisted Twins, a.k.a. the Shoshka Sisters. Um, they came out onto the scene with a movie called Dead Hooker in a Truck. It's great. It's great. Um, they made a movie called American Mary. Oh, I know um, that one, yeah. Yeah, so that was them. Um, they are. They also do their own, like, cameos in their movies so you get to see them in there they're in american mary um they also remade that um in 2019 i think uh so it took on their idol the god of canadian filmmaking if you will david Cronenberg. so um it um i i I do like the shows because sisters i think they're pretty interesting um and that remake was cool because i mean movie is about a woman and it this movie is more from a woman perspective which i think is pretty cool um you know that february is women in horror month too so gotta shout out to the ladies um and then i talked to you about these before um some of my favorite movies uh wolf cop and another wolf cop <laughs> the most banana shit ever and i can't wait till we can just go fucking hairy balls deep on these movies. Those movies are a riot. Um, yeah, definitely. Like those things like really kind of are like 
made by kids who grew up watching these movies. Yeah. And it's just this fucking standing on the shoulders of giants because as far as I'm concerned, Cronenberg's his own genre as Canadian movies go. Uh, you, yeah. you can't really, you can't really lump him into the Canucks exploitation thing because he's, he's this, he's an example of horror movies that are very artful and well-constructed and well thought out and have something to say. Um, and I think the, the only other thing I want to talk about with um, Canada and how um, relevant they've been to American filmmaking is if we didn't have Canada and the, the tax incentive they gave to productions, I don't know that George Romero would have had the longevity his career had because he made a lot of his movies in his later years in Canada. So much so that I think he, he was a dual citizen wow. of the U.S. and Canada. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that, I mean, I think Land of the Dead was in Canada. Bruiser was shot in Canada. Uh, the other, uh, the last of the movies were shot in Canada. So, that's, and for somebody who his whole career was all about making movies his way and doing it on his means and fucking you to any studio. I mean, what he made two studio movies, his entire career. Like that is, that is something that is very special about Canada and, you know, let's bless those hockey loving maple syrup drinking folks for being able to bring us these weird wacky movies and keeping George Romero around for a while. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Thanks, Canada. I completely forgot Cronenberg was Canadian. Yeah. Fuck yeah. So great. He's another guy. I've, I've seen a good chunk, but there's a lot I have not tapped into with Cronenberg. And, uh, and now that his kid's making movies, I, like, the list is just growing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. When, I just, when um, Austin and I decided to kind of retool Filmgasm and give uh, you guys a little bit more control over the episodes, I was amazed we have not yet come to Wolf Cop. <laughs> like I was waiting for that like day one. <laughs> well, look, look, I don't want to be too on the nose. All right. I want to, I want to show you I'm well-rounded. Don't worry. Wolf Cop is coming. I promise you. I figured. Yeah. I'm counting down the days. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was fun. I've yeah. It only takes, you know, one natural disaster to make me miss this. Um, don't miss Fargo on Oscar Sunday. And Nomadland on the sneak preview on Monday, God willing. And also, don't miss our new comedy movie podcast, Guys Who Giggle, launching in March. To all my fellow Texans going through this frozen nightmare, stay safe and stay warm. We are going to get through this together. In the meantime, don't party in a coal mine, especially when there's an active killer going after people who party in a coal mine. Uh, Stay safe and keep watching movies. Thank mm-hmm. you.